Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome back to We've Never Been Clicked. We are here with another Good Bull Hunting interview. I'm joined by my co-host, Cool Hand Lucas. How are you today? I'm great. Wonderful. And of course, our guest today is Dave Wilson, Senior Editor for College Football at ESPN. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Who the hell are you? <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day after you asked me to come on. I, I thought, you know, I've, I've skated by in anonymity for years now. And then you guys asked me to come on and I thought, that sounds like a terrible idea. Let's do it. <laughs> I've worked at five Texas newspapers. I have been at ESPN nine years now. Uh, I've been around, but I've always been on the other side of the fence, so to speak. I was a designer for a long time at newspapers and uh, editor. and then. Since I've been at ESPN, I'm a, I've been an editor on page two, uh, the old pop culture sports section of the site, and then uh, now in college sports for the last several years. Page two is probably what I'm more familiar with than anything else that ESPN's ever done. But did y'all run bylines there? I don't remember saying your name. We did. But again, I was, I was really an editor. So I wrote on occasion, you know, you see the people come through. ESPN, they call it the car wash. We would get little 15-minute interviews with random people. Literally, my first day at work, John Cena was in an office, and they said, go down there and interview him and write something. So, you know, I had no idea what to do because I didn't know I was going to do it. So I went down and asked him why he wore jorts. And so that was my first day at work. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So nine years at ESPN, how did you get a gig like that? Well, it was uh, I was it was a lucky break, frankly. I like I said, I'd worked in the at Dallas at the Morning News for seven years. I worked at the Houston Chronicle briefly. I'd bounced around, tr- sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do and where we wanted to be. And uh, I was living in Las Vegas for three years, and I happened to be there right during the crash, and I got laid off. And so we had a five month old and a five and an eight year old, and my wife wasn't working, so. I went looking for employment and I couldn't find any newspapers really weren't hiring a lot during the crash and they're still not obviously. I uh, ended up being a temp at the New York Times. So I went there for a couple months and while I was working there, I was sort of trying to figure out if I could catch on and then in turn, could I get my family to Manhattan? And I just didn't think it was going to happen quick enough and I was missing my kids. So I got offered a sports editor job in Beaumont. So I went back and did that. And I was there for about 10 months, and then all of a sudden ESPN called. And I had a friend that had worked with me in San Diego and I worked at that paper, and he worked at ESPN. And I went up and I interviewed, and somehow I got it. I did the old uh, familiar New York Times, Beaumont Enterprise, ESPN combo right in a row. Well, you've worked for some, uh, some killer outlets, but, but since you were at DMN and now you're at ESPN, I have to ask, why do you hate Texas A&M? I mean, you know how often the 
the committee meets to decide these things. No, yeah, I mean, Ben baby filled us in on all of that over the years. I've, there've been several times that I've, I've gotten thin skinned about it and I get upset about it and I ran at friends or whatever, but I don't know how, how to combat that other than uh, people have their mind made up. <laughs> people will read what they want to read and they'll, um, if they don't like what they hear, they usually think we hate them. And so we get that from a lot of people, obviously. I'm just happy to be familiar with it from growing up here. The two articles that you've published recently, and it seems like you're getting more prolific now um, with the the writing rather than editing, which to be honest, editing is a foreign concept to us at Good Bull Hunting since we're bloggers. You wrote an article on Art Bryles and his new job, and you wrote an article on <laughs> Horns Down. Both of those got a lot of play, at least in my timeline. Uh, but I went back and looked. You you wrote an article when Jimbo got hired on that $75 million contract. So did you uh, you have some experience with our fan base from that article? I did. I will say part of the reason I'm writing more is I moved back to Texas. I was in Bristol for eight years. And I've spent the last year back in Texas. And part of that was to give me an opportunity to sort of come back home and then in turn write a little more. So a lot of the country had said, you know, I can't believe A&M gave Jimbo this much money. And I sort of said, well, this is what they've done for years. They gave Bear Bryant a record contract. They gave Jackie Sherrill a record contract. They hired an Alabama coach coming off a 10-win season, which seems completely unthinkable now. (laughs) Um, So I said, it doesn't surprise me that they did it. And so someone said, well, you should write that. And so I, I dug around and, and went back and looked and I found, you know, way more than I even knew about originally. And uh, I think that's always been a knock, right? Is um, the A&M is this giant behemoth program that's, that's never quite put it together and you try to figure out why. And I was really surprised in working on it at how forthcoming uh, R.C. Slocum was, for instance, and how, you know, the pieces just never fell into place. Um, did he say it was his fault? He did not. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and, and talking to him, it was understandable. You know, things like the, the facilities had lagged behind and they went looking at other uh, stadiums to try to, build a, to try to build a new locker rooms. But the 12th Man Foundation or the, the people on the trip ended up falling in love with the zone at Florida. And so they wanted to build a club level section instead. And they still didn't get any new offices or, or locker rooms in there. So it was just sort of this steady stream of things that that things just didn't quite line up or go right and so and and right now you know with the new stadium and all the money flowing and even the hotel across street all the different things it looks like everything's in line so but you still have to you still have to make sure that you explain that you know just because that all is there there's still this giant roadblock in alabama and georgia and everybody else in the sec that that could be a problem so i'm still going to blame punting and uh, with uh, five minutes left against Ohio State, but that's just me. (laughs) But the interesting thing about it was the sort of like the reaction to it was, was pretty positive um, from A&M fans in general. Uh, You know, people said, well, this is really interesting. It really explained uh, why this hasn't quite worked. You know, they were always throwing money at the coach, but never all the rest of the stuff. And, uh, and it was interesting as during the day, how that, how that turned, um, you know, once the, there were a couple people that started saying, well, this was just a takedown, you know, and, and it's a hit piece. And then, uh, <laughs> hit and that, piece. Yes. Everything's a hit piece. <laughs> so it, that was interesting, but I, you know, it didn't bother me. It's like, uh, I think that to me, I felt like I had done a proper job if, if people couldn't decide how they felt about it. 
because it didn't feel like too much of a glowing piece or a takedown either way. Okay, very good. Lucas, should we move on to the Art Bryles article next? Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, Art Bryles is... a fans probably don't hate Baylor as much as they used to. Uh, even though I really, when I was in school, I never gave them much thought at all because, you know, it's a foregone conclusion that we would beat him. The Art Bryles scandal, the sexual assault scandal, I think, at least in my, in my mind, just was outrageous. I mean, the scope of it. The It wasn't just one or two players of just... When I'm reading about it, when I read the Pepper Hamilton report and everything, just the amount of disregard and, you know, seems to be like outright sanctioning of that type of behavior was just absurd. I can't believe any school would hire somebody who was overseeing that. Well, you, the, the main thing to take away there is you read the Regents report. No, Pepper Hamilton says there is no report, uh, which is part of the part of why this will always be a lingering issue for Baylor. As an attorney, I can tell you that's a very clever strategy because now they don't have to produce it. That's why they did everything oral. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously it'd been, it'd been a few years. Uh, he had browse had been hired once by a Canadian um, league team. And then quickly the blowback uh, made them change their mind. He interviewed at uh, Southern Miss. Jay Hobson brought him down to interview for an offensive coordinator. And then, sort of once the president and athletic director got wind of that, they nixed it among the outrage. So he hadn't been able to find a job basically in North America. He was coaching in Italy when all of a sudden the Friday before Memorial Day weekend, uh, Mount Vernon, you know, which is about 2,600 people, small little town in East Texas, about a hundred miles east of Dallas, just out of the blue named him the coach. And it was really, you know, it was really surprising. Even people in town told me that it just came out of the blue. Um, one woman told me it was like a bomb went off at 6 p.m. You know, they just heard about it from everywhere. It seems to me like he could make do with the $15.1 million that Baylor paid him to go away <laughs> than to come back in, to come back to Texas. Well, yeah, that's what one of the, one of the people I talked to uh, on the street in Mount Vernon said, well, yeah, he, he's not too worried about that. He doesn't have to worry about paying his grocery bill, but you know, that's not why he's doing it. All of this is to sort of, rehab his name and reputation and this is what he all he knows so um i don't uh, you know i can totally see why he's doing it because this is you know coaches coach that's what they always say and and when they don't anymore they don't know what to do and i wonder how much success he needs to have or how much time needs to pass before he can make a move from mount vernon to probably a smaller university but if he's good i i, I do think that's going to happen I don't know how long that'll be. Uh, he signed a two-year contract. You know, it's a it's a pretty small place. And I think someone. I think there are probably people that were waiting on uh, someone to take the first step, so that sort of clears the path for them. I don't mm -hmm. know. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I just. I mean, you you look at what Bobby Petrino did, and it took him a while to gain a little traction, and then to go to Western Kentucky, and then to Louisville, and what he did was to simply have an affair and commit some really serious HR and hiring discretions, but nothing on the, on that has the stain of, of sexual assault. I think when you, when you talk about sports in America, nothing has the, and rightfully so in my opinion, the stain of sexual assault allegations or domestic violence. I mean, even in the NFL, I mean, you can have drugs. I mean, Dante Stallworth was in a DWI and killed somebody. And, you know, you take some of the other things, those players can still come back. Michael Vick can come back. But Ray Rice is not coming back. 
I don't, I'm definitely not arguing the pro or con of it. I'm just, uh, I just think it'll happen. It's football. It's how it works. um, The guy won four state championships at, in high school and then won the big 12 at Baylor. I mean, the, his Baylor was historically awful when he got there. And so someone will find, it's like a man told me in the story that it's just, it's basically too, too irresistible to hire him. You know, it's, you know, Sharon Grigsby at the Dallas Morning News wrote an, wrote a column or an editorial about um, this. And, and her case was basically that, look, Baylor is the one who allowed all this to happen because Baylor is the one that didn't produce a report from Pepper Hamilton. They wrote a letter, um, their general counsel wrote a letter basically saying, acknowledging to, to Bryles that they know he didn't play any players that were accused or, you know, a couple of different things like that. And so she, her point was, well, they're the ones that kept the door cracked open for this. And so that's what for sure justify it. They all say, well, look, he was a scapegoat. Baylor had bigger problems. And, and that's true. Baylor did have bigger problems across the board. But, you know, at some point, you still have to think the answers, the, you know, lie with the guy. Well, Dave, you've been around football enough and you've been around coaches enough to know, and, and I have too, that nobody knows more about their teams or their programs than college football coaches or high school coaches. I mean, they have every detail down to down to the wire. They know where these guys are pretty much all the time. So for anybody to convince me that Art Bryles didn't know what was going on with his players or what they were, at least what they were accused of, is nonsense. I mean, it's in the allegations of the lawsuits, not just the Pepper Hamilton report. And I'm not, I know you're not trying to justify that. I just want you to throw that out there is that this, I don't think this is going away. In small town America, people can disregard it or sweep it on the rug for the sake of glory but like when you step up even at southern miss you made the good point there i mean people are going to people aren't going to forget this this does this doesn't go away one of my favorite lines in in the movie the insider is when uh michael wallace they were talking about uh how fame lasts for 15 minutes but infamy lasts a little longer and i think this infamy is going to last a lot longer it has but then the but then they hired him and they're not you know, like you talked about Southern Miss. I mean, they said, we're not walking away from it. They've kind of over, they've taken the first surge of, of criticism. And if anything, they were sort of emboldened. You know, and the people I talked to said, these people don't know us. They don't know what we do here. They don't know who we are. And they take really issue with it. Uh, that They think that they're like, nobody's going to come in here and run, you know, run this town because he's a football coach. But isn't that a little naive? Because he has. I think a lot of this is naive. I don't think they are prepared for how many people are going to show up for their first game on week three when they're at home um, or the first game when they're on the road, really. I don't know if they know exactly what, you know, what's going to be like. I think they don't care for the sake of victory. And I think that's just sad commentary on, on the town of Mount Vernon and the town in the state of sports in general. One reason I think Bryles ultimately will, he won't get redemption nationwide, but I think he will get redemption at one university or even a decent size university is that he wasn't directly involved in the crimes like the sexual assault. He was kind of in the, the oversight negligence kind of looking past it group. And, and I think as more time passes, it gets easier and easier for people like the people in Mount Vernon to look at it and say, Oh, he was a scapegoat. That was a problem with the athletic department. That was a problem with the president. And, and I really think that the blowback will be there, but it will be uh, reduced 10 years from now, five years from now, whatever it is. This will be, and some, somebody will try to say that this softens 
the blow, you know, that he will be able to, he's, he, look, he's come back. He's been a model citizen. You know, at some point he may show some remorse or he may say some things uh, that he hasn't so far. Browses, mm-hmm. and I didn't, I, we didn't really get this in the story because it's really not nailed down when it's happening, but he still has to go before the NCAA uh, committee on infractions. He, and, and that's probably going to happen this fall sometime. He could get a show cause while he's coaching high schools. So, and that's obviously going to affect his future if that happens, but we don't know that yet because it hasn't happened yet. The last thing I would, I would ask about is how, or how are the Oster tags in person? I love that. I love that part of the article. I, just, I had no idea that the Oster tags were living in East Texas. Yeah. The Oster tags are kind of the fixer uppers of Mount Vernon and, you know, Chip, Gaines only played baseball at Baylor with, you know, Greg Ostak guarded Shaq, you know? Yeah. So uh, they're great. Um, he's really funny and he's extremely tall, as you might imagine. And his wife, Shannon, is uh, really sharp. And what they're doing there is, is really impressive. I, when I was researching Mount Vernon, I happened to stumble across it. And so I wanted to talk to them. And, and I thought they were, they, turned, they, they were great. They turned out great. That, that's the great part of like some of the, of the articles that I've read of yours that I like is that you don't see a lot of anymore. You know, maybe it's because long form, but you know, you get, and particularly important in this story is to get a human feel for what's going on there and what the town is like. And I, I just really enjoyed that. Shout out to Greg Ostertag. I, I, I thought that was incredible. Well, you know, I'm not a hot take artist, obviously. Like I said, the initial wave had come and everyone had just had, had trashed Mount Vernon and had, take an issue with the uh, decision. So what I wanted to know is, you know, the simple question of why Mount Vernon, like how did he's in Italy? How does he, how does he end up in Mount Vernon, Texas of all places? I mean, look, I'm from East Texas. I grew up 60 miles away from Mount Vernon and Kilgore. So I felt like I knew the people. I knew kind of how these places work. My dad was a mayor in Kilgore for a long time. I knew how politics worked there. So I wanted to know why and why they hired him and how it happened. How did they get this to happen? Because it, it just popped up. Did you find that out? I mean, did you ever get to the bottom of that? I, I think I did. I mean, there's a, um, a very prominent family in Mount Vernon, the Ramsey family. The, one of the older Ramseys, is a, he's 79. He's a five-term state rep. The highway in front of the high school is named after him. Um, and they're, you know, they're a big family. His brother was the county judge for, the, for that whole area for three counties for like 30-something years. And uh, one of the Ramsey's sons, was a pro- was actually a prosecutor in McLennan County during this time, and his wife worked for our Browse on the staff. So that's, that's a nice connection to have. So you you know, it was, I asked the superintendent, you know, did 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 the Ramseys reach out to Art, and they said he said um, that they had only all he would say was that they had they had a mutual acquaintance in Mount Vernon, um, but then one of the cousins posted on Facebook that yeah, my cousin called him in Italy and asked him to come here, so. It was pretty, that was, uh, that tied that together pretty well. That's a, that's a nice convenient thing for Browse to have when he's at Baylor is a uh, connection to the prosecutor's office in McLennan County. Amazing point, Lucas. This is just uh, absolutely wild stuff. And we got pretty heavy here in this episode with the Art Bryles saga. Let's call this part one of the Dave Wilson interview And in the next episode, we'll dig into his other article that's really been popping up a lot lately, which is the article on Horns Down. So that's going to be much more lighthearted and petty and the kind of stuff you would expect to hear from us here at We've Never Been Clicked. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we've we've been trying to bring you uh, more interesting content, interesting people to hear from. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you will subscribe, leave reviews and ratings, anything that you think might help us uh, spread the word about the shows. Thank you, and we'll see you with Dave Wilson, part two, tomorrow. Never been clicked yet